Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Who amongst us has not experienced a loss in our lives? Whatever it is, whenever it was, the way through it is indeed a journey. I invite you to join today's guest for a look at getting through to the other side. Hi, I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio, founder of the Baca Journey, an illuminator, mentor, and guide for those who are on the cusp of their next step, personally, professionally, spiritually. You want to know how to connect with the answers that await you when you go inside, because these are the answers that unlock who you truly are. My guest today is Marie Lachaise, who is a French-British national. And I worked with, I worked with, I was going to say, I, I met Marie when I was in Bordeaux for three months. And as I talked with her, well, one of the things I felt was I really wanted to bring her to you here on Wisdom Talk Radio. Marie has worked as a management consultant in several countries before returning to France when she retired. She's the author of a new book called Consolation, Finding Comfort When Times Are Tough. Marie herself has gone through many tough times dealing with cancer, multiple bereavements, and family upheaval. So she writes from the heart in the hope that by sharing her personal experience as well as her research, she can bring comfort to her readers. Consolation follows the publication of her acclaimed earlier book, Choices for Later Life. I am so delighted to have Marie Lachaise with us today. Welcome, Marie. Welcome also to all your listeners and welcome Laurie, it's very kind of you to have me um, come in today. Oh, I'm delighted, Marie. And I know our listeners are in for, you know, something that's special, something special about, that's something that's also very personal. Well, thank you. I, I hope that will be the case. So, Marie, your book, Consolation, what, what makes this book different from all the other books, and there's a lot, on the market that deal with distress and comfort, those two sides? Well, I think, Laurie, um, there are a great many books that have been published, and there are a great many out there, and they're very good. Um, but when I was um, in need of comforting myself, and when I did purchase these books, or I read these books online, the first thing I noticed was that almost all of them um, see distress as being the result of bereavement. But you and I know that many, many people out there are distressed, deeply distressed, by things which have nothing to do with bereavement. And so one of the things I have done in this book is not make the assumption that it's only um, when somebody dies that you feel deeply distressed. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of degrees of distress. And there are all sorts of causes. And um, so I think my book is perhaps a little bit more inclusive than many of the books that are out there. And one of the other things I noticed was how many of the books really are talking to people 
who wanted to comfort others. They, they somehow were not written from the perspective or for people who themselves were distressed. So there would be a great deal of sympathy, but not always a lot of empathy. And perhaps we'll have a chance to discuss that distinction as well. Sympathy yes. being standing outside how people feel and empathy is when you really can share it. Mm -hmm. So this book mm -hmm. is definitely oriented towards you, you today and you now. It's not um, what comfort you might find in a week's time, a month's time, a year's time, or even several years' time. It's what you can do to find comfort in the next five minutes. And I think in that respect, um, there's not a lot out there which is uh, easily accessible and which doesn't require any skills, doesn't require any money, very little time, and um, above all, doesn't really require you to be superwoman or superman. We can all do it. So yeah. I have the That's feeling this is... distinction, Marie. That's such a key distinction that... We, we don't have to be Superman or Superwoman. And when you said things that are just, you know, something you can do in the next five minutes, that's great because, you know, we think we get caught in that cycle of, okay, I've got to get through this or, or nothing's going to get me through this. But something small that says, okay, what could you do right now? Well, I think... Um I say in the introduction to this book, and this is how I view, view it. As you said, it's a process, it's a journey. And I, um, because I'm not a therapist or a medical person, I make no attempt to um, come up with uh, a response to the source of people's distress. But I think um, I like to see it really like a either. Well, there are two images which your listeners might find useful. Mm -hmm. One is that you're battling away um, through a big jungle. And every time you do something very small and take one small step, you've cut down the lianas. You've managed to get through um, the mangrove swamp. You've made one small step. And it's an accumulation of small steps that I suggest in this book. And when I say small steps, I mean. Um, Something as simple as um, looking at a photograph, which gives you pleasure. And um, the other way of looking at it is that it's like a ripple in a pond. You know, you throw in a small pebble and the ripples just grow wider and wider. And that's all I'm hoping to do is to address how people, how you, the listeners, um, feel this very minute. It's not how um, you might feel. It's how you feel now and what you can do that will really make you feel better in the next five to 10 minutes. And then growing from there. That's, that's really beautiful, Marie. I, I know you speak from personal experience too, and that so much of what you've put into this book <clears throat> really does offer concrete, specific ideas to say, okay, let's just go from point A to point B, not to go from point A to all the way to Z. <laughs> Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure that um, people listening to us all have or all remember very small things that people did for them that brought them great comfort. They weren't um, huge gestures, something very small, um, often something very practical. And we remember those very clearly. Um, 
because they brought us instant relief. And I don't want to say that the suggestions in this book bring instant relief because I think that's a much used word, overused word. Yes. Nevertheless, they are very, very simple things and they accumulate. And this, uh, I think, is a point which I've tried to emphasize in the book because I've looked at the science. Um, I know that most of us today are a little bit reluctant to read self-help books. We feel they're going to be um, not applicable to our situation. And what I think, um, or how it helps, is when you read the science and you see that even if you don't believe it's going to be good for you, um, the science says, yes, it does. And um, let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, every time we perhaps go and um, ha take, go into the garden, pick a flower, smell the fantastic perfume of a flower, uh, and we can't believe that this is really going to do us much good in the long term. But science tells us that the smell of a flower is a pleasure which releases the feel-good hormones, which remain. It's like a drop in the bottom of a glass, and each of these small gestures will add to that glass until the glass fills up. And it's little by little that it builds up into something which becomes more real more permanent and but in the beginning it's just small things and the book is really about small easy things to do mm -hmm. but which have a dramatic effect marie i know that you're speaking about the science of it and and that's certainly important i also know that you've had your own experiences and and i wonder how you what you discovered through your own experiences and, and how how you noticed this in your own life? Well, I think um, with hindsight, I've learned a great deal. It has been a learning curve. And what I've now been able to analyze a bit better is what was actually happening to me. It wasn't uh, quite um, as wild a journey as I thought it was. I now know that it <laughs> followed a very, very specific pattern which science can explain and um, let me give you an example of something which really I was uh, very pleased about when I heard about the science. Um, now I know that um, many of your listeners are in the USA but maybe there's some British people out there listening. Oh they listen and, all uh, over. <laughs> oh well um, they will know that when you are in distress in the UK or with people who come from a British background, the very first thing they say is, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about what's happening. Um, why don't we talk about this over a cup of tea? And of course, um, not all cultures drink tea, but I now know why it is so effective. And uh, I learned that science has actually it's not always the case, but in this case, has really proved an old wives tale because what is involved by making yourself a hot drink? Well, first of all, it's a distraction. You put yourself on hold for just a few minutes while you boil the water, mm -hmm. find the tea, put it in the cup, and then you take the cup, which is hot, and perhaps you sit down. And by going through a ritual, and I explain this quite uh, at some length in the book. By going through a ritual, which means that you don't have to think what you're doing, 
you're getting rid of all those thoughts which are swishing around your brain for a while. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you are holding something hot in itself gives rise to a rush of feel-good hormones which carries on over for perhaps 15, 20, 30 minutes. And so we now know why we feel better for having had the cup of tea. It's not because you've got a, you're drinking a hot drink, which is good for you. It's because also when you hold the cup, and particularly if not, it's not a cup, but it's a mug, you have a large area of skin surface, which is warm and feels comfortable. And this in itself is a feel good trigger. And we know now what the science is behind all that. So a hot drink, which you make slowly, and if you're sitting down, your breathing improves, and you feel your muscles relax, and it really does help. So yes, the British are right in this. It's a hot drink. <laughs> a, cold, a cold, fizzy drink, a soda drink, does not have the same effect at all on the way you're thinking. Right. This really calms you down. And, and I want to say, add a little to that, because it, the ritual aspect of that, separate from the hot surface and that part of it, the ritual of doing something, even if it's pouring yourself a glass of wine or, or a cold fizzy drink and sitting down with something, someone, all of that goes into letting your body know, okay, this is a, a moment outside of what I've been in. And, and in that, there is there is there are all kinds of triggers that happen in the body to say let yourself receive let yourself be nourished for a moment here i would add something uh, to that i agree with you entirely laurie i am a great one for rituals um although they're completely out of fashion um you know people say and rituals and routines people say oh routine routine who, who wants routine well we live by routine, and I would add to what your, uh, was your last comment, uh, rituals uh, show us that we're part of a group, that we're part of a community. Uh, things have been done in a certain way in the past, they'll be done again in the future. It brings us back to normal, and we don't have to make any decisions. One of the great difficulties when you're distressed is that you're having to make decisions. People are telling you, you should do this, you must do that. And you're sitting there quite unable to make any decisions at all. The virtue of a ritual is that you, it is decision-less. So you have none of the stress of making a decision, which means that there's adrenaline rushing into the bloodstream. No, all this calms down when you're doing something which is familiar. Uh, so I agree with you 100%. Rituals and um, routines are a great comforter. And that's a, a great point, Marie. And I, and I want to make a distinction between rituals and routines, only in that the routines are something that when you're in a, in a process of, of struggle, um, of going through some kind of feeling of loss, routines are something that can get you through because it, just as you said, we, you don't need to make decisions. But I love what you brought out about the way that rituals connect you with that, with that bigger community. And what, you know, so often is the case when you're feeling some kind of, of distress, like, like you're speaking about, is that you feel alone. You feel like, you know, you know other people have gone through it, but in this moment, you feel like you're the only one. I think, too, that um, 
any ritual i mean whether it, it, it could be um a memorial service it could be um anything which um where people come together to talk about something um it seems to me that at that point um you can stand back you can be distressed um and things because the rules are so defined people know how to act and it all it will be going on around you but it gives everybody an opportunity i think to offer help um share in the distress and it's very very cathartic i think um it doesn't have to be a routine or a ritual which you associate with being old fashioned or being a stick in the mud or whatever other phrase you want to use. Um, it's quite simply uh, that you're putting yourself on automatic pilot. And yes, you are part of a bigger picture, whether you can really understand that at this very moment or not is, yeah. is something else again. Mm. I think for many of our readers, they would not be looking at ritual as something like a stick in the mud. Rituals are very important, and uh, and they they actually have been having quite a resurgence in the last years, uh, and people connecting with that deeper wisdom that's there in the ritual. Uh, I think you're probably right. It may be a generational thing. I think there was, um, particularly starting perhaps in the 70s and 80s, um, there was a big move to forget about funerals, forget about weddings. Mm. Um, and now they're coming back into fashion because I think people really need each other and it's the opportunity to um, just touch base and have, find a different perspective. Yeah. Um, so I do talk about this in the book, but um, I just encourage people to, that's just one small way yeah. of finding a small degree of comfort. And for you, Marie, why, I'm curious, in your own life, it was separate from the book, um, what was it that, that you found or you have found most helpful to you? when you've been going through a tough time, no matter whether, you know, what, what the source of that toughness is, what's been really useful for you? Well, again, I think it was something that I could analyze or I could think about only after, after the fact, when things had calmed down, when I was feeling better. I began to think about, well, what did help and what didn't help? Um, and I'll come to the question of what doesn't help in just a second, if you'll allow me to, Laurie. Well, what did help? Um, what did help, uh, these are things which surprised me. You know, friends and family, yes, they're our first port of call. But when it came to it, when it came to the nitty-gritty, when it came to finding instant comfort, it was small gestures that came from people I didn't expect it from. I, I remember quite clearly going into the florist. My, my father had just died and my mother died very shortly afterwards mm -hmm. and I was in a terrible state and I went into a florist and I suddenly collapsed. I was suddenly in a flood of tears and there were all the other customers um, selecting their flowers and they were looking at me. And the person who owned this florist shop, she put down what she was doing with another customer. She came across the floor and she gave me a huge hug. And she let me cry and she smiled and she saw me um, back to my car, made sure that I was comfortable. And we said goodbye. I never saw her again. She never saw me. And I thought that is the sort of gesture that very often brings huge comfort. The small gestures that people make from people you don't expect it from. 
that you, we all have such high expectations of what our children should do or our partner should do mm. that when they do it, we think, boof, huh, um, that's about no time. more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> or about time. <laughs> but um, when it's somebody who really hasn't been part of our community or we haven't known that well, or perhaps we have known them quite well but never thought that they would be very demonstrative, it gives immense pleasure. And I can honestly say, um, I also remember, I'd like to share this with you, um, I belong to an association. And when my husband was very ill one day, um, somebody from this association came up the driveway with a big bowl of spring flowers. And she just put them into my hands and I said, um, won't you stop by? And she said, absolutely not. This is just to show you how much we all care. Oh. And I'm holding on to a bowl of, the bowl was very beautiful and the flowers in it were multicolored and they smelt wonderful. And I put them next to my husband's bed and he could look at them, he could touch them, he could smell them. And I think, Laurie, there is an important lesson to be learned that some of the most comforting things are tactile. And when I say tactile, it could be a hug, a kiss, mm -hmm. somebody putting their arm around you, or it could be something. Mm -hmm. And if I have um, something that I would like to emphasize, I'm, I'm very reluctant to um, tell people what they might be able to do or what they should do. I don't like the word should at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. um, but very often people send an email. Well, it's so much better to send a greeting card. A greeting card is tactile. People spend a bit of time opening up the envelope, taking it out. There's an element of surprise, pleasure when they read it. And then they can keep it and they can take it off the shelf and look at it again and again. And I have yet to meet anybody who didn't find that a greeting card, because it was something practical, immediate, and something they could touch, all these people said how much better it was than an email. Wow. Or even a telephone call. A telephone call is great, but when you put the receiver down, there's None. there's nothing left. There's nothing, yeah. it's, it's gone out into the ether. And so anything which is, um, lasts a bit longer, whether it's flowers, maybe a bottle of wine, maybe anything, but if it reaches one of the five senses, this to me is the basis of things which really, really comfort. Yeah. If we're talking about things which come from other people. Um, Lovely. The book talks, well, in, in the book I try to make a distinction between the comfort you get, you can give yourself, and the comfort which comes from other people, mm -hmm. and how you can encourage both. One of the things that you're, what you're saying reminds me of, and I did this without knowing or without really thinking about it, um, someone that, be, because I know you from Bordeaux, uh, the first time I, I was in Bordeaux, for, and it was just for a few days, but one of the people who had been a very kind host um, lost her husband. And oh. uh, not, not during that time, but maybe a month or two afterwards that I heard about it, and, and I sent her, I mailed her a card from the U.S. to, to France. And it mm -hmm. just felt like something I just had to do. And I, she later responded back with a card and said how meaningful that was. And this time when I was there, she was a beautiful host for us. Um, you know, just lunch at her place and dinner. And we, it just started a relationship that hadn't even really been there. 
So even though I was someone on the periphery of her life, it, it added something important. Well, I think you've touched on something very important, which is that um, it's quite amazing when we're distressed, and I'm sure your listeners um, will recognize this, um, how we remember small things, and sometimes we have very little recollection of the big things. And this is really where the science um, was very enlightening for me. Um, the expression is emotionally enhanced memories. Emotionally enhanced memories. And, and what I learned happens is that when we're in distress or when we're under, in a state of shock, um, negative memories and positive memories are stored in different places in, in the brain. And so what we remember, unfortunately, are a lot of negative things and we also will remember small gestures which are positive, but the balance after time or in time is that we remember what didn't go right. Um, let me illustrate this for you. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you read all the books about um, how people came through a difficult period of their life, the books will be all about um, yes, the family did this and the family did that, and then there'll be a little thing added which is. But what a shame that my daughter couldn't be bothered to pick up the telephone. Um, I was surprised that my neighbor never got back to me to see how I was doing. And this little negative memory, actually it isn't a little, it's, it's quite a big negative memory, comes back far more vividly than the positive things. And so I began to think about this and discover that it is um, to do with the way our memories are stored it's a survival tactic. We need to remember what went wrong more than we need to know what went right. Um, and I, ch I challenge those people who are listening to us and even you yourself, um, when you ask people, well, you've just come back from vacation, how did it go? And I would say half of the time they'll say, oh, it was, um, it was very nice. Yes, the hotel was great. The food wasn't bad. But you'll never guess what happened to us at the airport. They not only lost all our luggage, but the, the, the plane was 12 <laughs> hours late. And they will talk at length about what didn't go right. And it's rather like the news, isn't it? On the evening news, is always telling us what has gone wrong. But when it comes to comfort, um, we need to listen to what people are saying, and it's the negative things which often they express. Um, and if you're aware of this, as I said, it's called emotionally enhanced memories. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here, Marie, because while that's all true and that's all one level of science, we have choice about what we pay attention to, and I'm working with this all the time with people, and. Because we, we can always focus on the negative, whether it's around distress or bereavement, around anything, like you said, around vacation. And we have to retrain ourselves, and we can, as to where we put our attention. You I know, think that's an absolutely for? vital point to make. And I think that's the difference, perhaps, between um, what is in the book and maybe your approach. You're absolutely right. What I've tried to highlight or to explain to people that when they have these very negative thoughts which come into their mind, that is an instinctive reaction. And they then 
you're absolutely right, um, need to be able to make a choice. And that's why I think what you do is extremely helpful. But I think sometimes the um, initial, let's put it this way, the initial reaction is negative and it's negative for a reason. It's not because people are negative and they need, yes, to retrain, to think, um, I don't want to yeah. use the expression. No, it, was, it was survival. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and it's just that there's no saber-toothed tiger now at our backs and that's where the retraining has to come in. So I want to ask you one last question, which is, well, maybe not one last, but anyway, um, what would you like readers to take away from reading this book? I think first and foremost, I'd like them to recognize um, themselves in the book. I'd like them to see that, yes, their voices have been heard, um, that what they found helpful is helpful for other people. What they have found negative is also negative for other people. I'd like them to take away the sense of community and, and I suppose, ultimately hope. Um, because we know that when we're deeply distressed, it all looks hopeless. Um, and so if you can see yourself as part of a whole um, and learn that other people have thought the same way and come through the same journey, uh, that, that there is hope at the end. And I don't pretend that it's quick. I, I make no pretense in this book by saying um, that I've got a magic potion and tomorrow morning you're going to feel better. Um, what I'd like, or I hope that I've made clear in this book, that it's not about addressing the, dis the cause of the distress because your partner may never come back. You're, you may be suffering from chronic illness. You can't revive a dog that you had to put down. The cause of your distress is one thing, but how you see it and how you approach how you feel is another. And all this, I hope, does in the book is to make you feel actually physically and mentally better able to cope with the distress and then to be able to see how you can overcome it in a more long-term process. But it's the immediate. It's really about the hours, the days, uh, perhaps no more than that. Um, all the things that you can do little by little, drop by drop, um, step by step to make yourself better able to cope with what is a very legitimate source of um, distress. Yeah. Although I'd like to finish perhaps by saying, Laurie, um, the one thing that I have discovered and I hope that listeners will perhaps um, be able to see more clearly is that if you feel distressed, then you are distressed. And it's not because somebody says to you, um, oh, my goodness, it was only a dog. Surely you can't be that upset. Or, um, well, you can always sit the exam that you failed again, can't you? They are belittling. Um, they're minimizing your distress exactly at a time when we want to have that distress acknowledged. And in this book, I spend several chapters acknowledging the different sorts of distress um, that perhaps don't always get the recognition they deserve. Um, in, in the greater world outside. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Marie. That's that's so important. And, and boy, I love that if you feel distressed, you are distressed. And for, for readers to be able to take away 
not only from, well, from this time of listening to you and all that you've shared, but to know that they can reach out and they can um, get a hold of your book. I know it's on Amazon. Uh, look for Consolation, Finding Comfort When Times Are Tough. Thank you, Marie, so much for sharing your wisdom, your research, and your heart. Well, thank you to everybody for listening, and thank you to you, Laurie, too. Love to you all. Bye. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. Join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination of your journey. Remember, you can find us always on all the places where podcasts are out there on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Google, and more. And while you're there, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. And remember, for more illumination and inspiration for your journey, find me, Laurie Seymour, over at thebacajourney.com. That's thebaca, B-A-C-A, journey.com. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.